on this episode of AV Week. ISC's made another change. We know we're sorry, uh, but they made another change. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, Microsoft and Crestron gets together on a scheduling panel and the importance of audio. All that and more next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 499, recorded Friday, March 12th, 2021. Software Dance. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Atlas IED, innovative audio solutions for every business environment, and by Crestron. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host with us to discuss the news and information we have gathered this week. That was all in one breath. Alicia Henley, also known as the Smooth Factor, works over at Access Networks. Welcome, ma'am. What up? Happy to be here. <laughs> what up? Rise and grind it's, and all that. It's one of those days. I'm just like, what up? What's happening next? <laughs> well, it's funny. Is is uh, not you know, Mr. Mark Coxon is also here with Tangram Interiors. Neither of you were on my docket for today. <laughs> Both of you kind of at the last minute, which I really, really appreciate, and I love talking to you. Uh, but yeah, it was. It, Alicia's like, yeah, okay, what do I get next? So I appreciate it. Hello, Mr. Coxon. How are you, sir? I am awesome. Thanks for the thanks for the opportunity to join today. I appreciate that. You are awesome. Uh, he's out of, uh, we mentioned Tango Interiors, Southern California. And last but not least, from the great state slash country of Texas, Luke Jordan, Electroacoustics, Fort Worth, not Dallas. How are you, sir? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. Uh, first story comes to us from our friends over at ISC. Yes, I know that we started last week with the exact same-ish story, and so I apologize, but they did change things. Uh, last week, we made great pains to note, note the fact that we were recording on March 5th. Now we are recording on March 12th, 12, uh, seven days later, and things have drastically changed for the uh, annual um, event. They are now moving from the big Barcelona event over four days to a four-city hybrid model in June. Amsterdam, Munich, London, and Barcelona will host different versions of the annual event. The events will also take place over the course of June from June 1st all the way to June 24th. According to Mike Blackman, who we interviewed yesterday and posted this morning, so you can go and check it out. And our fantastic producer Mitchell will put a link on this episode's page to that interview. This will not be a tabletop quote unquote show. Uh, it's more of a road show type with pared down booths. There will be health precautions uh, depending on what city that you're in, that local government will, will dictate those. Localized attendance, localized reps, support from the manufacturers. Um, Alicia, I'm going to start with you, uh, because if I'm not mistaken, I believe you and I are the only two on this panel that's been to ISE. No, uh, really? This has been a, huh? Really? Is that... I think you and I, I don't, I know Luke has it, and I don't think Mark has. Oh, um, I, wow. I brought Mark with me to a trip I did in London. That's a whole other story. Um, back when him and Chris both worked for Barco, but I don't think Mark has been to, to ISE. So you and I are it. Okay. Um, so from that, that perspective, what does this say about the future of maybe AV industry events or maybe just what does this say about the future of ISE? Well, I mean, I kind of like it, right? Because um, it, it reminds me of like an Alamo Roadshow or like, you know, a, a manufacturer kind of going on their roadshow and making it a local type of community yeah, environment. Yeah. And I think you have to do that right now, um, especially with COVID, right? It kind of not saying that it's, it's any 
more safe, but there's less people going to be in these areas. So I think it's a great idea. Ultimately, we're going to get back to to what it to what it's going to be in Barcelona full scale. Ultimately, when that is one year, two year, three years, uh, we don't know. Right. Um, but I think this is the best route for them to go if they want to host something and call it ISC, you might as well just take it on the road and do it locally. All right. Look, bring that aspect to it. What is what value does this this four city model bring uh, to ISA and to the industry? It brings an event. I think the biggest issue is just that nothing's happening. There's not a way uh, to, to really get in front of people and, and interact. Um, you know, Atlas did a fantastic job releasing uh, their new digital signal processor last year, but that was kind of a virtual event. Um, and people had online questions and it was kind of the, the zoom webinar format, uh, but there's still very limited interaction. Um, you know, for me, the biggest advantage of trade shows is, is relationships. Uh, I get to know who, who on your end do I need to talk to, to figure out, uh, what problem this product or solution is solving? When is a good place to use it? When is this not the best fit for this product? And that's okay. Um, who is the best person to call when I'm uh, testing it in my shop and I'm having trouble configuring it and learning it because it's new or if I'm deploying it on site and I'm having issues. It's all about those relationships. And it's really hard to create that in a virtual environment. Virtual events are better than no events. And they have gotten incredibly good compared to last March uh, when we were just figuring out, should I even invest in a virtual event? Because this will surely be done before the summer, right? Um, so having it is better than nothing. And by going to the cities and letting the local areas kind of dictate you know, safety and regulations, again, I think is really smart. So hats off. I think they're doing a great job. Mr. Coxon, we'll finish up with you. Um, Mark has a, a unique perspective uh, on this group. Um, just like Alicia, um, Mark has worked for manufacturers, but also a, a, on the integration side. Where else could ISC kind of expand this to host local events? Or is this, because, because ISC is owned by both Avixa and Cedia, is it maybe something where we ask the question, where can Cedia and Avixa host more local events? I'm not quite sure which organization should do it, but, but this seems to be a model uh, at least from the ISC standpoint, that that looks to be the the most um, conducive, uh, at least in the current environment. Yeah, I agree. So I agree that in the current environment, it's a really smart idea um, to make it local because I think the the you know the intercountry travel is going to be hard in Europe, and there's going to be a lot of regulations on who gets to go back and forth. Um, first and foremost, I will say what's interesting to me is that Infocom or Infocom tried connections events, which were local events um, a few years back. And they weren't well attended, honestly. People liked um, the bigger show. Um, So I don't know exactly how it's going to play out in Europe. I I think Europeans love to travel too. So I think going to another country is part of the plus of going to ISC. Like, you know, if you're in London, you get to go to Spain and it might be warm and not cloudy and rainy, you know, and that might be a fun thing for you if you live in London, right? You might not want to just go down the street to a local event and see the manufacturer who comes and knocks on your door anyway. 
So I'd, I'd be interested to see um, how the local events play out, given kind of that affinity for travel that Europeans seem to have, you know, going back and forth. I will say um, with Luke, I, I think it's really great they decided to do something and keep, an, and keep a place-based version of this event this year. And honestly, if we're all going to play like a big game of like AV, pig and a poke, I volunteer as tribute to do the National Lampoon's European vacation through the four ISE cities. Um, as, as Clark Griswold for AV. So, you know, in case anybody's out there looking for that. You know, brother, if, if, if any of these countries would let us in, I'd do it in a heartbeat. I really, really would. And, and I've said, I said this in the interview with Mike yesterday. I, I've said this for years. ISE really is my favorite show. Uh, and part of it is that travel thing, right? Part of it is finding, and I, I fell in love with Amsterdam. Um, and, and so, you know, that's, that, that aspect is there. Um, I, I like the, the combination of the resi and the, and the commercial side. There are several aspects uh, of this show, and I, I think I think Mark hit on it. You know, there there are several parts of this that make a whole lot of sense and, and uh, attract people, um, and more and more um, non-European people are going to this show for the simple fact of when when it is located. It is in February traditionally, right? Um, and so a lot of manufacturers have used it as a jumping-off point in, in unveiling products. Um, uh, you know, I've met people there from India, from China, from Australia, obviously from the States and North America, um, because it's, it's where you can get your hands on these products for the first time. And then, you know, four or five months later, you get Infocom, another chance to do the same thing, right? And so this, this cadence has been created over the last 15 years, um, and that cadence has been disrupted right now. So we, we kind of need to figure out a way to, to get back together. Yeah, it's the, I, it's the ISE in February, Infocom in June, shipping in September model. I mean, that's the <laughs> that's the model that works. I think the caveat with that goes along with all this is, as you mentioned, for the time being, the local shows are a good way to go. Uh, I think that as soon as we're able to have large events that are well attended, I I would be surprised if they kept with the small traveling boutique roadshow uh this is still just a temporary stopgap for what the world is allowing yeah i've always liked the smaller shows especially when i was an end user and in the summertime was our only time when we could get our integrators in and do all the rotations out in summer so we couldn't technically get up and go to an infocom right but we can go to the LG Roadshow and see what their latest display was to put it in the stadium. Or we could um, go down to Dallas and go to an Alamo Pro Show and I could meet a Tim or a Gary B or take trainings there, right, that are more um, regional and kind of get that same kind of vibe as, as a large-scale show and connect with those people and still build those relationships. So I think it depends on also what vert- vertical you're in. Yeah. And then some of, some of it is also, you know, your availability. Alicia mentioned you know, there are, there are certain parts of the year where higher ed and, and education is just not available uh, because you've got a lot of stuff going on. All right. Uh, next story comes to us from our friends over at AV Magazine. Crestron, who is a sponsor of AV Nation, uh, has brought to market the first ever Teams scheduling panel. This is according to Microsoft. The firmware upgrade is for the Crestron 70 series scheduling panel. According to Microsoft, it's the first to market. Crestron does have other soft codecs specific panels as well as partners with uh, other codecs um, per their website. Um, Mark, I want to bring you on this. Why is embedding uh, these soft codecs in, the, in these software 
pieces important, uh, not just to Crestron, but also to in integrating technology into spaces? Well, I think we're seeing more and more end users um, platforming now, right? Mm. They're, they've come out of this, this remote experience, really leaned into um, teleconferencing. And a lot of them have decided to pick a platform and Teams happens to be a very popular platform because it's on everybody's Windows computer, right? And so, um, you know, we're seeing a lot more, um, a lot more opportunity to release products, I guess, in that. It's interesting that Crestron's doing that with Teams because I know we have a client who has doubled down on Teams and we were required to kind of go get some special Microsoft certification and partnership in order to sell Surface tablets that were running the schedule software. So I'm glad to see that they're expanding it more into the AV area because you know we weren't a traditional IT-based Microsoft partner um, in that respect, and so we didn't you know we didn't have those same relationships to get you know Surface tablets doing the scheduling and things like that. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting move for Microsoft to to go in with Crestron. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's a room scheduler, but it does have some extra features and allows you to do some things. I like the nearby rooms aspect that if you showed up in a room, you could hit buy and it'll show you some other places. I think we're going to have a lot more of that um, post pandemic because, you know, I'm in a workplace company. Everybody's talking about managing density, about contact tracing, about occupancy in rooms. Are people sitting in the chairs they shouldn't be sitting in? Are people bringing in chairs from other places and bringing more people in the room than should be in the room? And I think a lot of things they were talking about, you know, the integration with occupancy sensors, the, the way that they're um, debooking rooms if they're not being used. I think that all helps manage office space, which most companies are looking for a way to do now. So and, and automating some of that as well. You know, absolutely. Yeah. Luke, uh, Mark brought up something really quickly about, about the, the, the kind of the bringing it into the AV space and the touch panel, panel space. Other areas of touch panels that we've seen over the years, um, 22 Miles has an integration with, with some of them where they can be turned into digital signage, right? Uh, they can become wayfinding. There's all sorts of this new almost discovery of, hey, there's this display in these rooms or on the walls, we can use it for other things. So where do you see um, the touch panel market going in the next couple of years or maybe in the next five years when it comes to you know bringing in other, maybe other markets or other verticals? See it going away. So uh, something that happened with COVID is uh, menus disappeared at every restaurant. Yeah. You have a QR code. Everyone has a has a menu in their back pocket. Um, and again, if if I'm a restaurant, I'm going to quit making menus because it's expensive. Anytime I rebrand or every time I I change out my my seasonal menu to have to reprint, maybe I laminate, may have the holders, maybe uh, someone uh, cracks the plastic and it looks trashy. But again. If, if I have a, a website and I've probably got you know DoorDash and I can order it and it's set up for mobile and I've got my QR code, why would I go back? I'm seeing churches spend a ton of money to put in projectors and screens for the first time, even in beautiful liturgical spaces, because they don't have to print out bulletins for every single mass every single day, and it actually saves them money. So same thing, you're going to see a QR code on the wall. And you can pull it up and it'll it'll show you the schedule for the day and you can reserve it through your phone. And you're going to have the touch panel to control the system. Again, on a QR code, several manufacturers are already doing that. The only space from a scheduling perspective that I see having hardware uh, that's outward facing that makes a big difference, and this comes down to culture, is 
is the room available or not and for how long. So if I've got several meeting spaces and me and a, a coworker have a problem that we just need to get inside of a private space and talk for 20 minutes to solve this problem, and we don't want to interrupt people kind of in the open office environment, um, I need to go find a room for 20 minutes. And so if I, if I see that the, the light is green, that room's available, great. But then I look on the touch panel and it says that there's a meeting starting in five minutes. I need 20, so I need to go find a different room. And so that helps me avoid tension of what are you doing here? I reserve this room. I had priority. Get out. We can avoid that by just having this very clear and open communication of the room's availability. And people are probably not going to look at their phones to see that. Yeah. So that's that's the one advantage I have. But I see a lot of this going uh, to people's personal devices and whether or not the, the company is going to subsidize their use of that is a different question altogether. And that's also a culture thing as well, I think. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, Alicia, last word on this. Um, this is an interesting play because you're you're taking a traditional AV hardware manufacturer and they're leveraging some of the power um, and personalization of software. Where else could could you know um, AV start leveraging uh, the software industry for you know for their solutions when it comes to you know the the software side? <laughs> I mean, us at at Access, we just we just brought to market a cloud-based solution, right? Like everybody wants to be within software in some form or fashion, get into um, basically operating their systems from anywhere and not necessarily having to do that directly in a room. So the software is going to continue to grow. And and that's kind of been an ongoing kind of conversation since I've been in in this industry, right? Is it software as a service? Hardware is going away. And now we're kind of doing this dance because the big boys are getting involved in incorporating, uh, (laughs) you know, incorporating basically software into the hardware. So I think this is only a growing trend. Um, The touch panels might go away, but the software component of uh, playing into our hardware is going to continue to uh, is going to continue to grow. I think. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point, Tim. Is that you know now that we are in this world of of most things being on the switch, you know what Alicia sees in her world is everything's now an endpoint. So you know, a touch panel has a camera, a speaker, a microphone, and a screen on it. So it can be anything at that point. I mean, anything that you want to run from that perspective, you can generate video. You can generate audio, you can capture video, you can capture audio there. It's, it's really an endless, you know, kind of upgrade path. If you design the product in a way that you can continue to upgrade firmware and, and add features. So. Well, there's one thing, there's, there's two things here. And part of the story said this was a firmware upgrade, right? So, so Crestron didn't have to ship anything new. This is not necessarily a new SKU. They, they, you know, technicians went in and, and they up, updated the, the firmware. There are a lot of other lot. There are a handful of, of manufacturers I can I can think of off the top of my head that that design their products just for that. Um, some of them have, have been sponsors, or maybe some of them haven't. And and you know um, where the the product that you bought ten years ago has been kept up to date through firmware and software releases. Now it may not have all the newfangled this, that, and the other, and, and you know there are other aspects of it, but it's at least kept up to date and and kept pace with the product that they're going to release next month or next year, right? Uh, I think that's a, a, a incredible um, uh, business model to make sure that your your clients, your dealers, and and their clients are are kept you know um, kept up to date. 
scalability, yeah, I mean, flexibility. I mean, that's always a huge selling point for integrate, you know, especially for an integrator or in an end user, right? Because we don't yeah. want to keep us spending spending money. <laughs> yeah, the 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 my favorite connector on a on a box on a on an AV box is an HDMI that has no purpose. And you, you ask the manufacturer, what is this connector for? And they say, we don't know. We haven't, we haven't found a use for that yet. <laughs> but if we ever figure it out, it'll be in a firmware release. <laughs> you, you just, you just take all, you, you're just picking on Mark Coxon now, aren't you? He hates <laughs> HDMI connectors. He hates and, it. and I kind of agree with him. So, you know. I'm, I'm being all quiet. Right. And no, no, yeah. All right. Being good. Last, sto Being good. <laughs> Last story uh, comes to us from our friend, Dr. Margot Dwahi. You call her doctor, damn it. Uh, she's talking about audio and sound strategies for hybrid learning. Uh, just for the record, Margot would never say you have to call her doctor. I'm saying that because I've been friends along enough that I remember when she wasn't a doctor, but she's fantastic. Um, she highlights a couple things here. Uh, first is the voice lift, the ability to amplify every voice for everyone in the room. That's an aspect that, that 10, 15 years ago when I was a tech manager, I didn't necessarily uh, see because of the education market, but now more as I've been exposed more to the corporate market, I totally see, especially when you're talking about lifting everybody's voice for everyone else, totally get that. Uh, also, the competing uh, touchless audio and the beamforming microphones. These are all really, really important in creating an audio uh, experience that doesn't leave the students or the instructors just flat out tired at the end. Because one of the aspects that this last year has shown us is that audio is as important, sometimes more, than video. If my bandwidth is such that I have to mute my video, I can still have a conversation, right? Um, so, Luke, we'll start with you on this. How do you impress on your clients the need? for good audio. Oh, I'm sorry. I guess you could see me on video, but you couldn't hear me. I just proved it. You're assuming you sound good though. I've got a, <laughs> I've got a fantastic SM7B. I know I sound good. All right. So, uh, and, and that, that is the point is unless you're considering ADA special needs where someone is, uh, impaired and has hearing issues, which is a, a very important concern and is not to be pushed aside. Uh, but for the majority of, of people, if I can hear you, but you're blurry or you're just initials on a screen, I can still communicate. I can still interact. I can still learn. I can still do whatever it is I want to do. And if I add in video and if the video looks very good, my experience is better. If I can see you, I can see your expressions. Uh, I, I get more of that human connection that people were made to have. But at the end of the day, audio always is and always will be king because that is the, the, the base layer of communicating. All right. Alicia, what has this last year done to, to drive that point home uh, now that we've all gone home and, and worked from home? I mean, Luke said it himself. You're you're on mute. Was <laughs> was the number one, it was the number one phrase of the year. People were putting it on T-shirts for crying out loud. Like, like you're on mute. So if and I've always argued this. No matter what, no matter what venue 
uh, audio is super important, whether it's a concert, a classroom. Look, he's got a book. You're on mute. What the? You're my. <laughs> Look at this. You got signs. You got books. Exactly. Like that's that's the whole point. Like you have to to have a great experience, especially with everything virtual. You got to have your audio right. <laughs> you got you got to get your audio right. There you go. Clap, clap, clap. I like that one. <laughs> yeah, those, that that is one aspect, and, and you're right. Um, from the proliferation of Zoom. Uh, and the other platforms, but Zoom has become Kleenex at this point. It is a it is a verb. Uh, it, it was a verb beforehand, but that's not the point. Um, you know, it, it is you certainly become uh, ubiquitous. Mark, uh, no, go ahead. Right. I, I don't, uh, you go ahead. But it's like even pay attention to what's happening on on social, like on social media networks. Like there's an audio only platform. Like Clubhouse came out and was become audio only. And like Luke said, unless you're, you know, hearing impaired then this is something completely new to the market. Now you can have Twitter spaces, which is audio only. Like there's so many audio only driven type of communication that's come out within the last year because it's a main focus point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and if you're on Clubhouse, let me know because the only person I talk to there is Neto. So um, that's Ooh. not true. I don't even go on. No. I've been uh, in the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse for years. Does that there we go, <laughs> um, Mr. Coxon? Same, you know, same question here, both from a manufacturing standpoint and an integrator standpoint. Audio yep. sometimes is not expensive; it's not cheap, right? You you getting the right equipment in there, but from a microphone standpoint and a speaker standpoint, and doing the DSP magic that you have to do, how do you convince? How do you convey that importance uh, and that spend to to end users? Well, I honestly think people are starting to realize it. So as, as people start to come back into the office, one of the things that I noticed right away and people in my company started complaining about that weren't AV people. So I can, you know, I can say like from a non-AV perspective, watching people interact with, with audiovisual systems. Um, for the last year, we've all been sitting at our desks at home, which means we get this really nice tight shot of our camera. We're in close proximity to a microphone, whether it's a headset, whether it's a speakerphone or whether it's the microphone on our computer. So there, there's proximity to the microphone, there's good video in a close shot. What's happening is, as people are starting to go back and now six people are in that conference room, that wide shot of the conference room and that echoey audio all of a sudden becomes very, very apparent, right? When you can't hear the guy sitting at the end of the table or there's a lot of echo in that room, before where that was only for one participant that was coming in remote and they were a second class citizen in the meeting so they get what they get, it wasn't a big deal. But now all of a sudden, when the CEO is sitting at home and said, I can't hear my CFO when he's in the conference room at the space, all of a sudden people are starting to get it. So, you know, our VPs all were saying, I can't see anybody. I can't see anybody in that room. I can't hear anybody in that room. And so this idea that, um, you know, we've had now this experience of very personalized audio and video, that expectation is being transferred now. So these, these technologies like being forming microphones and all those things that we're talking about, um, to cover students in a classroom, or if you really want to have uh, a classroom discussion, the remote students need to hear the in-person students, right, in order for you to do that. So all of these environments are all of a sudden starting to find out that the audio is a very important part of the equation. I think one of the things that Margot pointed out too, which is really cool, is that a lot of the platforms um, seem to be adapting to that. Like right now I'm testing, and this isn't a commercial end, but I'm testing out some audio easy IP stuff, right, which are multiple cameras on the network so that I don't have to extend USB has one decoder. They have a four by four Dante matrix built into their decoder mixer, right? So I can put sure microphones with DSP 
into the Dante ports. I can put a lav mic on the input port for the professor to have personalized audio on the lav. And all of a sudden, all those mixing devices are all being done in this decoder, integrated with the camera and pushed back into the system on that USB port so that now I have this really intense AV ecosystem all coming in on a USB port to a soft codec. So, you know, those are the ways that we can really help clients, like I think as integrators, is really start to decode all of these things as opposed to, you know, make them think that they're stuck with a soundbar at the end of the room that's picking people up at different levels. You know, and I'm not denigrating that hardware. That's, it's great. It's horses for courses, right? At five, a 10 foot room, that's a great technology solution. In a 50 foot room, it's not. Or in a classroom with 30 foot ceilings, it's not. So, you know, I think, I think we're seeing people get that. I like the idea that the DSP software, DSP has moved, like we talked about, into this software space. Um, so that you can integrate it into other things that are doing camera decoding or video or integrate them into our video switchers or things like that. Like Crestron has AEC built into their, their digital media processors, right? So if you plug something into it, it'll actually do the echo cancellation. You don't have to have a third-party DSP if you don't need the extra uh, levels of delay and all those things that DSP can offer. So I think we're seeing that in the market, but I think those products are more and more relevant than ever right now. Uh, that'll be a great place to stop. Thank you all so much. Alicia Henley, thank you, ma'am. How do people connect with you uh, or uh, or Access Networks or the Smooth Factor or wherever you want to send them and, and your 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 new uh, podcast as well? Oh, yeah. Well, if you want to get a hold of me, the best way to do that is at the Smooth Factor on any platform or the smoothfactor.com. If you want to get in touch with us at Access, go to accessnetworks.com. Right, we'll help you out anywhere you need help. All right. Mr. Coxon, thank you, sir. Uh, how do people connect with you uh, or, uh, or Tangram? So I am at AV Phenom for anybody who doesn't know at AV Phenom on Twitter. That's usually where I'm the most active uh, throwing out links to articles or random thoughts or shoulder picks or whatever is going out on the, on the social. Those uh, Tangram interiors, uh, Tangram interiors.com workplace solutions company. If you want to check that out, you can check that out there too. All right. Uh, he does warn us now about the shoulder picks that come. And, and if you want to hear him talk on his podcast and his writings, which is fantastic, go to Rave Pubs as well. Uh, so check him out there. And last but not least, Mr. Luke Jordan. Thank you, sir. Thank you. How do people connect with you if they want? Oh, I'm going to go fishing so y'all can leave me alone. All right. That's fine. He's apparently an old man. <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, my name is Tim Albright. Don't follow me on the Twitters. Uh, go by the website if you would. Please, avianation.tv. That's avianation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others. While you're there, check out our sponsors. I mentioned a couple of them because we did a couple of their stories. Uh, you, know, you can go by the website and let them know that you appreciate their support. Uh, while you're there, also uh, check out um, Matt Scott's show that is the resi side of this and our number of our other um, week, uh, monthlies that look at uh, IT and looks at social media and marketing and control and all the others. So all that and more at avianation.tv. That's avianation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That's all the time we have for AV Week. <laughs>